Thanks for tuning in to Culture Car ATX. I'm your co-host, Michael Ward Jr., here with Donald Scott II. Our goal at Culture Crawl ATX is to change the world one conversation at a time. We hope you enjoy this episode. So uh, today's conversation will be about Haiti in the in its like current current experience. But actually, I just wrote a I wrote some sentences a, a couple days ago, and I said that history doesn't repeat itself because what we were experiencing yesterday has an impact on what we are experiencing today. Um, and I think, and so I'll go backwards into life and think about my relationship with Haiti. I didn't know any Haitians until I got to college. But when I got to college and I learned about the few Haitians that I hung out with, I realized that my best friend in first and second grade who lived two doors down from us were Haitians. But back then they were just black people that had like French sounding names. That's what I remember. Um, and so we weren't sure why their names were what they were but they, cha- they, they called themselves something different anyway. Um, and you know, they were just a little bit different but they were still black and we was all poor. So it was, it was what it was. Um, but now fast forward, right, when you start meeting people who are from different places and then you start hearing about the background of their family and the culture that it represents, then now there's an opportunity for learning. And I would say even still, right, post-college now, I didn't really read much about Haiti in general. And I've never been, I've never been to Haiti, uh, but sometimes they're in the news, right? They the, the country, the people, uh, but but only recently have I come to fully appreciate how destructive the U.S. policy towards the Haitians has been because of the Haitian Revolution and what it represented. If you think about the possibility that the Caribbean could become the extension of Africa. Uh, and so much of what the, the island or the nation and the people deal with comes from the legacy of discrimination, but the people in the United States, and I'm, I'm only speaking for you know, United States educated people who don't travel, <laughs> um, it's, it's very easy to ignore. Uh, and so it just becomes a, a news news item and then it goes away. But it does seem like whenever there's news out of Haiti, it's something that's, I'll use the word catastrophic, um, but usually it's something that's like, oh my God, I can't believe that happened. Where is Haiti again? And then, and then it goes away because, um, because of people's actual caring about the individuals who are most affected. But then also our news cycle is always fast food, um, you know, no one can ever focus on it because there's always a new crisis in any case. Um, so I, I think this will be a good conversation because, uh, because I think that it, you know, I expect some of the lessons that we learn in today's conversation will talk about today, but have a root in the past. Um, 
And so hopefully everyone listening uh, learned something new. Thanks so much, Donald. I guess I'll go ahead and introduce myself. My name is Jasmine Clarisme, and I'm a longtime friend of Donald and one of the Haitian friends that he met in college. Um, and really he's maintained this interest in the country and we'd actually planned to travel. I wanted to travel with a group of my college friends, grad school friends, just to show them a different side of Haiti because as Donald mentioned, Haiti comes into the news every now and then, but it's always with a tragic story. And so people don't really understand the complexity of the nation. Uh, in terms of background, I am of Haitian descent. I was born in the US, uh, but both of my parents were born in Haiti and my older brother was actually born in Haiti and my parents moved, moved to the US one year before I was born. But in that sense, I really grew up feeling like I was in little Haiti in, my, in New York. Um, so I grew up fiercely attached to my Haitian culture and being fiercely proud of my Haitian culture and always wanting to find a way to understand the different complexities of the country. And uh, to that end, at, in college, I studied uh, political science, comparative politics. I did my undergraduate thesis on democracy or the lack thereof in Haiti. And I was really trying to approach it from this academic sense. And it's just so much to kind of unpack and as Donald mentioned, there's just the history and the legacy of that discrimination from the 1804 revolution, being the first black independent republic. Haiti just set itself up as a pariah in the international community and has really been paying the price for that to this day. And I want to preface this by saying there does need to be accountability um, on the side of the Haitian people, the Haitian government, and we can't always look at external forces, but we do have to recognize that we kind of started with a significant disadvantage. Um, for those who don't know, after the revolution, Haiti actually had to pay France back in restitution for property loss to the slave owners. Not only did Haiti have to pay France back, and it's still to this day is trying to recoup reparations, France ended up paying the white slave owners for their inconvenience of having lost their slaves. So France paid reparations to the white slave owners, but refuses to pay reparations to Haiti. So that's something we can kind of discuss later. We'll put a pin in that, but that just goes to show that they do recognize that reparations are in order when there's injustice. But in this case, there was not injustice for white slave owners to have lost their land that they should have never had. Um, but uh, just a bit more about how my Haitian background extended into my career. I worked, I've worked in international development for the past 12 to 13 years, um, mostly in Africa because the links between Haiti and Africa are so strong. When you look at neighboring Caribbean countries, we don't, we don't really see so many similarities other than landscape, but culturally we tie very strongly to West African culture. And um, Haiti was actually a member of the African Union for a while um, until they made a mandate that it had to be only African states that could be members, but we're an observing member because 
African countries recognize that link. Um, and so I traveled throughout Africa. I worked in Sierra Leone and then Ethiopia. And I was actually in Ethiopia when the 2010 earthquake happened. And I said, the whole reason I got into international work was because of Haiti. And I felt the need to make my presence known in the country to help in whatever small way that I could. So I ended up going to Haiti in the recovery phase in 2011 and worked for an, an international nonprofit. And it was my first time living in Haiti. I'd grown up visiting my cousins um, and family that lived in Haiti, but never had actually stayed for an extended period of time. And that was a really eye-opening ex experience and something that I treasure to this day. And it's just helped me to continue to stay engaged in what happens, what's happening in the country. And so I just appreciate Michael and Donald for giving this platform for us to kind of have a discussion on. <laughs> Sorry, as I warned, Michael and Donald, my dog, might join the conversation. But I'll turn it over to Michael and Donald. Yeah, it seems that the dog has a lot to say right now, just based off of that, that last point. And as I just hear about the history you shared about Haiti, I didn't even know that. Uh, but that just goes back to speak about the inequity of situations and how you are forcing victims of situations to then be further oppressed or be further exploited just based on that situation. And I'm gonna go back to Don though, just, think, just thinking about you know, his interactions with those uh, that were from Haiti or had Haiti descent. It goes back to my childhood. So I'm from Miami and I'm Jamaican. So I grew up seeing you know, all types of walks of life and all different types of Caribbeans, whether it's Bahamian, um, those that are from the Virgin Islands, those that are Haitian, you know, those that are Jamaican, Cubans, Puerto Ricans. I mean, we, we saw everybody in, um, in Miami. And for me, it was always a united front because yes, we definitely stayed, you know, with our Jamaicans for the most part. And there was a little, uh, I'm going to say, quote unquote, beef in, in, uh, in between uh, different groups of individuals, different countries, but it was all love, right? Um, some people may not have loved so much, but there was definitely a sense of love for other Caribbeans and just the fact that we were all Caribbean, right? And it was a united factor. Um, however, when I think about challenges, uh, and negative things that happened in Haiti, it kind of goes back to Donald's point about, wait, what happened in Haiti? Where is that again? And then it, you know, it kind of goes you know, um, out your mind, right? And you don't really think about it so much because it's kind of like out of sight, out of mind. And it just goes back to this sense of, uh, what's the right word? It's just a, a lack of humanity. Um, and, and we have been so focused on the day-to-day, -day, right? And being busy, quote unquote, but we don't really take a step back to just think about the people who are all part of the same human race, right? The people who are all connected, whether that's connected geographically, connected by the color of their skin, connected with the fact that we are all humans, but that connection sometimes doesn't seem to cross, you know, state lines, cross country lines. And I just think about the devastation that is going on in Haiti right now. It's sad, you know, it's sad. Uh, because this is not the first time this has happened. I don't recall uh, when the, the specific date, um, when the, the, the most recent earthquake, outside of this year, this most recent earthquake impacted Haiti. Uh, but the same thing goes into, you know, where's the support from the quote unquote big powers, right? You know, where's the support from those that have privilege, uh, regardless of the country it is, I'm not talking about any specific country, but in general, it's like, you know, where's the support of those that have privilege and where's the accountability of those that are supposed to be helping in these scenarios around, you know, disaster relief, 
you know, where is the accountability for those individuals? Because we know that there's been several, you know, mismanagement of funds. And even now, as I hear more advertising or more promotion or more, you know, coverage around this issue, it's about if you're going to help Haiti, make sure you're helping Haiti in the right way, right? Make sure you're giving to the right entities, to the right groups, to the right people that truly care about Haiti and truly care about the outcome of what's happening in Haiti versus of those that's more so looking at this opportunity um, for their own recognition, for, uh, for their own outcomes, but not for the betterment of Haiti and the people of Haiti. Uh, so my, my heart goes out to Haiti and I, you know, I'm happy for you to be here, Jasmine, and really provide some context of history of Haiti, but also talk about, you know, what's going on there right now and how people can help and how people can get engaged and what does that really look like for a long-term sustainable uh, outcomes for, for Haiti as a whole. Thanks, Michael. You bring up really great points about just kind of the responsibility we all have as an international community to help others and just feeling like when Haiti is in the news, people want to help, but then you turn off your news and the next thing happens. So even this week, the tragedy in Afghanistan is affecting me and a lot of people. So it just seems like it's never ending. And a lot of Americans have this isolationist view, say, we have to help ourselves first. We can't solve the problems of the world. And I'm not going to completely argue against that because there does have to be some accountability on the Haitian front. So when it comes to the 2010 earthquake, billions of dollars poured into Haiti, so much of it unaccounted for. And a lot of it goes back to weak government structure. You need to have a government in place to really be the gatekeeper. International aid organizations have been operating in Haiti just free will without any supervision. And um, it's Haiti has actually been dubbed the Republic of NGOs, which stands for non-governmental organizations. And it really is. Everybody has a little nonprofit for Haiti. Even my family has a nonprofit for the small village where my father comes from in southern Haiti. But essentially, that's because there's no government presence. And so I, we can touch on the most recent tragedy that happened in Haiti on July 7th with the assassination of the president. And that was the most brazen attack. And that actually affected me so much more because it was man, it was created by humans. Natural disasters are going to happen at, historically in Haiti and the Caribbean. We have hurricane season every year. Haiti happens to sit on a, a tectonic plate that's a, that is active every now and then. So natural disasters, we can't prevent those, but we have to have systems in place to be able to respond and um, kind of, we know it's coming. We don't wait until the fallout to see, oh, what can we do? How do we prepare for what we know is eventually going to come? And that's not all on the international community and the nonprofits. So a lot, when I was working for nonprofit, it, I was working for an international nonprofit after the Haitian earthquake, it's really like you go into communities and you try to stand something up, but there's no sustainability. You build a water system. Nobody in the community wants to be accountable for it. 10 years later, it's run down because there has to be a sense of ownership, accountability on the part of Haitian people. They're so used to getting handouts, unfortunately, and they really look to that. So for a specific example, with my family's small nonprofit, we focus on healthcare in the region 
outside of Lekai in southern Haiti that was badly affected by the earthquake. But um, it, the area that we service is 35 minutes outside of the main city, has zero government presence. It's only because my father's side of the family set up a nonprofit to open a clinic. Before we started this clinic in 1998, the nearest clinic was a two hour walk away. And but I'm talking about unpaved roads. I didn't even visit my dad's village until I was in my twenties because before then we didn't have a paved road. Only my older brother was able to go because he was able to hike the one hour. My dad thought he would be able to do the hike for the one hour that you had to do to get to the village. So there, it's, it's just so much more complex and I know people want to help and the best way is really to go with Haitian local organizations and international organizations play their part, but the local Haitian organizations that are there after the, the whole news cycle and after the big donor push to get fundraising push to get money in, um, they're there on the day to day and they're not taking the ridiculous overhead that um, nonprofits take, and I'm, I'm saying this as somebody who comes from the nonprofit sector and works currently in the nonprofit sector, we do have to obviously pay salaries and we have infrastructure uh, internally that we have to handle, but the level that we take is unconscionable in my opinion at some times. And so Haitian-led organizations don't really do that. And there are several um, Haitian-led organizations that uh, people really can just feel more comfortable knowing that their money is going to help directly. Um, every now and then uh, we have people share detail on, on where they may be able to help or find more info. Um, is, is there any place where you could direct people to research where, where they may be able to find the local organizations? Because I have to imagine if you Google like help Haiti, uh, you know, the, the only, you know, Salvation Army, Red Cross, and then maybe GoFundMe, maybe Facebook donations. Um, but I imagine that they all go to a corporate space before any funds get um, distributed. So is there a website maybe or, um, or anyone who consolidates where local Haitian donations can be made? That's a great point. I don't know of a specific website. There's a lot been a lot of information has been circulating on social media, credible platforms, on three or four organizations that have a really good track record. I can name a few for you right now. There's Hope for Haiti that my family's nonprofit actually partners with. They work in Southern Haiti and they're incredibly transparent. I, feel, I believe 90% of their staff are Haitian. Obviously they have some technical expertise that comes in from international expats and that type of thing, but they are an amazing partner. There's also Partners in Health, which is uh, run by, which was started by Paul Farmer, who has had a long-term engagement in Haiti. There's also Foncoze. I mean, I can definitely uh, share uh, a list with you. Um, but Foncozi is another local organization that has a great track record and reputation. Um, but if your audience is interested uh, following this, I can share the names. Yep, and we'll, we'll grab some links um, and share them on, on social media wherever we post it. Um, you know, on the topic of, of uh, 
on the topic of accountability and then also what people come to expect. I, I don't know the Haitian people, so I can't, uh, I can't speak for them as a group. What I can say though is, it's really odd to me that Haiti and the Dominican Republic are on the same plot of land, but, um, but that's another thing that I didn't know for a long time until I like looked at a map and then said, oh yeah, that's true. These two countries are the same place, but we talk about them so differently. Um, and a couple things that, that come to mind is, um, especially from an NGO perspective is the UN or some peacekeeping group, they like got in trouble for, um, give me a second. They got in trouble for maybe abusing the, uh, abusing the locals, but then I don't remember anything ever coming out of it. So it was like, even if there are people there, there to help, people can be people in tragic situations. And for the most part, people are trash. <laughs> uh, and so if there's, if there's no accountability and we know that, that uh, globally, countries do not want, I mean, this is just my opinion. I feel like globally, superpowers do not want Haiti to be an established space outside of the continent of Africa because that, uh, that independence would immediately spread to the rest of the islands and then probably into the Americas, right? And right now I think that, that we're all in a disrupted kind of um, separate, as long as we keep them separate, then, then they'll never, you know, uh, have power type experience. Even even sometimes this conversation around, uh, not that we need to get into it, but how and where we connect as black people in America versus who is an American, you know, a, a United States American descendant of slavery as if our Caribbean family weren't also enslaved. Um, and then if you start thinking about how it's best to keep all of those groups separate in order to ensure that they never come together, um, then it seems like when a tragedy happens, we can justify how the people are treated because we've already decided we don't want them to ever be stable. Uh, and, and that's how I feel about the conversation. So for example, like the assassination of a president, that's not something that, <laughs> that's not something that you randomly do. You know what I mean? Like that's a planned coordinated attack on a country, but I've not seen any media and I, I don't consume as much media as I once was. But even for the little bit of media that I do consume, you would think that the assassination of a president would command a decent number of news cycles plus some sort of action and activity from the global community because you can't just be assassinating heads of state. 
But then that goes back to like the history of Haiti and how it's been treated as because it became specifically an African independent nation outside of the continent. Uh, so, you know, it all, it all kind of goes together. Um, and then again, <laughs> when, there's, when there's something big, it's something big. Uh, and, you know, there's somewhere in there, there needs to be more visibility, I think. Um, what was the last part? what's happening because it's so close. You said more what, Donald? Visibility. Oh, visibility. Yeah, 100% agree with that. Uh, definitely agree that across the board that there needs to be more visibility, more transparency, and more accountability combined. And I do believe that there are certain powers that want countries such as Haiti uh, to stay in a very, in a very specific uh, class, I'm going to say, or, or bucket, so to speak. Um, and when we see, com not companies, when we see countries begin to excel and move forward or begin to have their independence or act in a certain ideology that doesn't align with the values that we believe, well, then we want to we want to check them, right? We want to make sure that they're inside there, that they are um, staying inside that bucket and not going beyond that. And we're seeing, you know, that even outside of Haiti, right? We're seeing that here in the United States, uh, just given certain cities, certain states, what's happening with, with social movement and migration and, you know, income levels and people begin to act a certain way to keep people at bay or keep people in a, in a certain bucket. So when I think about, you know, the assassination of Haiti's president and I think about how a natural, how people capitalize on natural disasters and then corruption seeps in, it's like, wow, you know, here it is that there are certain individuals that are just abusing power and there's not enough accountability and there's not enough visibility around the issues. And then it, it is very difficult to believe the truth, right? Because you don't even know what the truth is sometimes. And that also seeps into the narrative. So now, even if people talk about the assassination of president and say that it was certain powers that be that they planned that assassination, then it's like, okay, well, who's going to hold the powers accountable? And who's to say who exactly was behind it versus who was used as a guinea pig or as a scapegoat in order to have the outcome that they're looking for. You both bring up such good points. And I really sometimes wonder if Haiti is still really paying this price for kind of setting itself up as this target to the international community for being this rabble rouser and upstart. And if you look at Cuba, which will never in the mind of the US do anything good because of socialism. So they like that's pegged as a target and no matter what advancements Cuba may make, um, hey, uh, the US will always say like that is our enemy. So I always have to keep it in the back of my mind. Like what is the benefit to the international community that Haiti stayed destabilized? Because when you think of where Haitians look to go when there's uprisings in Haiti, they flock to the shores of the U.S. So wouldn't it be in the U.S.'s vested interest to have a stable country 300 miles off its shore? Wouldn't you want that to be a model of like stability? It just really, I still question it. I don't know. I don't see like what are the benefits of it, but maybe we are still paying the price for being a black country. 
And then when you look at surrounding Caribbean countries, yes, they are predominantly Black, but they are very tied to their colonial powers. They stay in the Commonwealth and they got their independence in the 1960s, 50s and that type of thing. And so there's more of a connection to the colonial power. The colonial power settled there and they feel more invested, but Haiti literally kicked out the French. And so uh, it's a country made up of mostly former slaves and you have your elite um, that happen to be of mixed descent or foreigners from uh, Syria or Lebanon who are the merchant class and kind of control this. There's an oligarchy in Haiti. And so there's so many complex factors on the international community's role and accountability uh, for kind of not contributing to Haiti moving forward or trying to um, see that the country be stable and thrive. And I don't know if any of you or any body in your audience has ever taken a cruise, but I believe it's Royal Caribbean has literally leased up the Northern part of Haiti called Labadzi. Um, and they are getting all the income from cruise ships going there. And they don't tell cruise passengers that they're actually in Haiti <laughs> and they have zip lines. And it's just like, so, cause Haiti is beautiful. Donald mentioned the fact that we share the island with the Dominican Republic. I'm sure many people have been to the Dominican Republic and we have this similar landscape. So tourism would be just a no brainer, but there's so much political instability in the country that we can't even capitalize on our rich culture, our beautiful landscape. So it's just, there are just so many layers to it. So I just think accountability needs to be on all sides. It needs to be the international com community to step up and say, we put Haiti at a disadvantage when you were starting out, not an affirmative action type of thing, but a more like, uh, shared value dialogue type of relationship as opposed to being a we're giving you money you owe us this you owe us your loyalty um, it's not working with the Haitian government it's kind of trying to take it over they don't really want to strengthen Haiti they want to come in do what they want to do and pull out and so um, and then within Haiti when you look at the ruling class who has money and all the conspiracy theories of circulating about who was responsible for the president's assassination. A lot of people are pointing to the serial Lebanese um, merchants to say they were going to be at a disadvantage from uh, Jovenel Moïse's populist rhetoric saying we need to take money back from these Syrians and Lebanese who are ruling our country. There's a group of 11 families um, who are the wealthiest in Haiti. And like, I think people don't really realize that there's such a huge divide. There are like the hills of Haiti, mansions that I would never be able to afford in as an American. People are living a very lavish life in Haiti and it's possible because they just are not paying taxes. They are just really kind of leeching off of the Haitian people. So that's the internal accountability as well. Yeah, I never knew. I mean, I guess it makes, well, it doesn't matter that I didn't know, but I never would have even associated Syria and Lebanon with Haiti. Um, and then, you know, for you to say very specifically that there are 11 families, right? It's like, 
if you know that, then that means that others know that. And more specifically, there's a power structure there that, that keeps the Haitian people where they are. And so then you, would, you could say, the people who are there know exactly what's going on. And then you have to decide if you're going to stay or leave. And if you leave, you're leaving your family. But if you stay, you're choosing to stay in a bad situation. Um, and I, and you know, just personally, I feel like that's the same experience that black people generically are having in America. Like, and I'll, I'll even speak for being in Texas, right? Like uh, for all of the news coming out of the state house, we should be packing our bags and leaving because it's clear that the signal is that black people are the problem. Actually, the Lieutenant Governor blamed the COVID crisis in Texas on black people. But what is failed to be recognized is that when, COVID, when the vaccine was available, it was not available in the central locations where minorities exist, meaning the major cities. But if you looked across the state of Texas, where the vaccine was most available was in the communities where the people were least likely to get it, meaning at that time, Trump supporting whites. So now for him to say that it's our fault, right? It's like this, it's this mind trap. So a similar thing could be said about, about how the narrative in Haiti goes because people don't know what's actually happening. So, you know, if there are, if there's a group there's a group of 11 families, and we're also saying that billions of dollars pour into Haiti from, a, um, from an international uh, support perspective, but no one knows where the money goes, then we know where the money goes. It goes to those families that continue to control the country. Uh, if, if, you can't, if you can't do something great with, with a couple billion dollars, then what you're doing is stealing it at the end of the day, right? So, um, but that's an interesting topic. I'm, I'm going to do a little bit of Googling about, uh, about the, international, um, the international population inside of Haiti, because that's, that's, that's nothing that ever comes up uh, in the news or in, in any articles that you may read about, you know, what's wrong with Haiti and, and you know, is, is that side of the island cursed? <laughs> yeah, so I just want to clarify, yes, these are people of Syrian and Lebanese descent, um, but they migrated to Haiti, I, probably in the 50s or 60s, so they consider themselves Haitian, but like Haitian above the Black Haitians. So if you, if you say to them you're Lebanese, they will fight you. They'll say, I have a Haitian passport, I'm just as Haitian as you, I speak better Creole than you, um, but their Haiti is the privileged Haiti. They want nothing to do with black Haitians who, may, who comprise the majority of the population. And yet it's very well known. Um, they even term them the morally repugnant elites. Um, and they just are on this defensive mode. But I think like you mentioned in the US and, and, and around the world, there's just like a, there's a power structure, there's an oligarchy, there's a benefit for power to be concentrated 
and money to be concentrated amongst a small group of people. And the, I don't believe in trickle down economics. It's just not going to happen. So who has to step in and really say, pay your taxes. You're making so much money in this country, actually pay your taxes. But to pay your taxes, you need to have an actual equivalent of the IRS in Haiti that functions, can track people. There's no addresses, no post working, functioning post office. I mean, they're just, it's really like a blank slate if you look at Haiti when you think about it. It's just like you would really have to build this country from the ground up. And who's going to do that? Who has the energy to do that? The Haitian diaspora, my cousins, my generation who grew up in Haiti all left to come do their education here and won't go back because you can't find jobs. And then you, if you try to make changes in Haiti, you become a target. I have, I know of one of my cousin's friends who wanted to go and produce rice cheaply in Haiti, but that was a threat to people who were the higher class who were importing rice. And they're like, and so she actually got death threats. So if you want to help Haiti, you can't even do that. You don't have the security to go and do that. You have this stronghold of these 11 families that are just really preventing progress from happening. And yes, they work in conjunction with the international community because they're educated, they speak English, they're lighter skinned. So when Americans or international um, powers come in, they're like, oh, we can talk to you. And those elite will just really speak about their needs without thinking about what's best for all of Haiti. Yeah, and as I just hear y'all share, a couple of things come to mind. So the first is around just the non-governmental organizations, NGOs that are supposed to be helping individuals or helping countries, you know, excel. And I went to school for political science and global studies and learned all about the World Bank and the International Monetary Fund and the different entities that are supposed to be doing good work. However, I'm going to say this. If you are charging people who need help to get help, you're not helping those people. And that's just across the board, whether that's healthcare, education, I don't care what it is, it's the same mindset. If people need help and they cannot provide for themselves, then we are doing more harm than good than, give, than giving people the help, but then charging them for it. It's somewhat like a bait and switch. It's kind of like what happened with the housing crisis here in America, right? We gave all these people houses who did who couldn't afford it. And then that led to one of the one of the crashes that we've seen here in America because we didn't have, we did not give people the proper infrastructure or foundation for the help that we were giving them. Instead, it was, hey, we're gonna make it seem like they were helping you, but in reality, we're cursing you and your whole entire family. Um, and that's what we see here with some countries based off of the funds that they received in quote unquote in support, which really was in was was really an act of exploiting that country. And now we're seeing the ripple effect of that just across the, the world. When we look at the Caribbean, we look at Africa, we look at Latin America, right? We look at certain places that had the help, quote unquote, of these entities, when in reality, they did more harm than good for the overall sustainability of that country. Um, so that, that's one thing that came to mind. I've been thinking about that ever since I was in college, just doing the reading of history, right? And just literally looking at what transpired and what is still going on today. And the other comment I wanted to go back to was Donald said, uh, Donald was talking about how the lieutenant governor blamed, blamed the black population for how many people have been impacted now with COVID because of blacks not getting um, vaccinated. And I had a whole conversation with this in one of my chats today. So I'm gonna read some, some numbers for y'all just to make sure you put things into perspective. 
So Texas has a roughly 28 million people. Out of that 28 million people, according to the U.S. Census, about 12% of that is actually Black people. So if you take 12% times 28 million, that's 2.4 million people. So for those that are Black here in America, not in America, here in Texas, they only account for 2.4 million people. However, when you look at those that are predominantly white and non-Hispanic here in, the, here in Texas, they account for 41%. So if you take 28 million people times that by 41% of the population and 60% of those that are non-Hispanic white have not been fully faxed. So that's 6.8 million whites that are not vaxxed compared to 2.4 million blacks that are not vaxxed. How dare you blame a smaller percentage, a smaller population for quote unquote, the devastation that we're seeing when there's more Caucasians, more whites that have not been vaccinated inside your state that are going out and wilding out across the country. It's like, not across the country, across the state, sorry, across the state. It's like, what, where are you getting your facts from, right? You know, what, what data points are you referencing to come to your conclusion because your conclusion is just not right when you just look at the numbers. So yes, there is definitely a larger percentage of those that are, that are Black and Hispanic that have not gotten vaccinated. But when you look at the overall numbers of those that have not been vaccinated here in Texas, it is still predominantly white people. So this just goes back into how data and numbers can tell a story. But if we are not looking at the data with a magnifying glass and unpeeling the layers, we can be misguided by what other people say, such as, oh, you know, quote unquote, Haiti has gotten billions of dollars, right? Why is Haiti still in the same situation it was years ago? And it's like, okay, well, where did the money go, right? You know, let's follow the trail of the money and see if the money actually went to the hands of the people that needed it versus continue to grease the hands at the top. So I believe it was you, Jasmine, who mentioned, you know, trickle-down economics doesn't work. And it's true. It doesn't work based on the environment and the culture that we have today. But if you simplify it to a family, it works. And what I mean by that is that any, any money that the parents would get, it goes down through the children, through the parent, right? So we take that model and actually apply that on a larger scale, then it could work. But unfortunately, that's not the structure that we have. And we're seeing that because we shouldn't have to continue to throw money at a problem. We should be throwing money at solutions and then the solutions become self-sustaining. So therefore you no longer have to throw money at the problem. Um, so as I look at just data, as I look at this story, as I look at what's going on, we really have to look behind the scenes and making sure that whatever we're actually looking at, whatever we're believing is actually true. And by referencing the data points and asking the right questions, then we'll get to the truth and we'll be able to have the transparency and visibility that, that Donald uh, mentioned earlier uh, through this, through this uh, podcast so far. So, so what, what are your last thoughts as, as you close up here? What are your last thoughts just based on everything you've shared so far? So just thinking, uh, I think we've talked a lot about the problems and just thinking about solutions and sustainable change. Like where does that come from? So if we think first off education, more people need to understand what's going on in this world and what's going on in countries like Haiti, Afghanistan that we're trying to help. 
And I would definitely have a caveat to say, even when information is out there, people will choose to interpret it how they may want to. So you just don't know how, like, who is interpreting the information. We could put the data out there, but it could still be spun. But I think the first step is putting it out there. There are a lot of people who just don't want to believe that their problems may be caused by them. We can get into white fragility, critical race theory, where it's just like, we're not making up what we want to tell you. We're just trying to contextualize for you to understand the experience of minorities in this country or across the world. But it's just really having people be open to the experience of others beyond them. So we start with education. Then once people know what are the ways to build strong institutions within countries like Haiti, how do we help Haiti, Haitians make change for themselves? There's gonna to need to be buy-in from Haitians, obviously, but we are going to need the help of the international community. We are going to kind of need more input from a middle class, giving them room to kind of make those changes, um, stimulate the private sector, kind of give people economic opportunity. And so then they will then start demanding changes from the government. So there are different steps that need to be take, need to take place, but like we have to start from the most rudimentary, rudimentary level in that people have to understand clearly what's going on because unless you really understand history and context, how can you possibly make a change? Yeah, thank you for that. And, um, you know, just to close out, I would say history and context is the most important thing. You have to read about what the situation was that created Haiti as a country to begin with, and then what they've been dealing with since the revolution along with how that revolution affected the politics of other countries, especially like, for example, the, the politics in Cuba or um, the politics of, of refugees. So, you know, for example, I know in the States, we, I've seen different things saying that the United States is, is morally obligated to receive uh, the Afghan refugees. But I also read um, and this would be a little tangential, and, and I never really appreciated like the Fujis, but, but I read that um, when Haitians and Cubans, uh, Black Haitians and, you know, let's call them racially mixed or diverse, but not Black Cubans, were fleeing their islands, they took both groups to Guantanamo Bay. And the Haitians were refugees in Guantanamo Bay alongside Cubans. And then the United States decided to send the Haitians back to Haiti and the Cubans were able to come to Miami. And it's small things like that, right? That says, where was the moral obligation at that time to support these black people? And you can't say that there's any difference between those two nations except the color of the skin because we know that for the most part, Cuban, Cubans in Miami are traditionally um, European of, of European descent. And plenty of people don't know that <laughs> Cuba is full of Africans um, because of the way we talk about it in the news and the people that we show. So uh, I think 
the education is extremely important. And what's important is that we, as you know, the people having these conversations, share the information with our friends, peers, parents, and kids. Um, and I'll say this, I'll add this one last thing <laughs> because I'm a dreamer. Oh, what we have to do is create the opportunity for the establishment of well-to-do Black communities inside of these other communities where, although it's a majority of Black people, they're not empowered. Because what happens, the first thing that people say is, well, like I've made this comment before and, and somebody, a Jamaican friend actually was like, um, I don't want a bunch of American Blacks coming to Jamaica thinking that they're better than everybody. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, I can appreciate that comment. However, everyone else gets to go be an expat somewhere. And when they go be an expat, they kind of bring up the rest of the group, the, the rest of the economy, kind of, if it's, if it's not isolated. But usually when we're talking about expats, we're talking about whites going into a minority country, a minority majority country, where they're not even minorities, they are the majority, they're the global majority in their space. Um, but I can't imagine that a group, maybe it would happen, but if, if like all the people who are, you know, upset at living in, in uh, the South Side of Chicago found a way via a nonprofit to relocate into places like Haiti, they would become a part of the, a part of the people because of the, I think, shared experience but we don't allow for the shared experience because we're always focused on our separate culture. Whenever we start talking about bringing the races, bringing same race people back together. Um, so if you can create a way for, instead of people relocating to Ghana, right? Nobody's going that far anyway, for real. But three, what'd you say? 300 miles off the coast of the US. Okay, that's, that's closer than, uh, than going from California to Chicago, right? Or California to New York. Um, and so it's, it's not impossible. Uh, but, uh, but anyway, I'll close with saying, thank you very much for the, the conversation. Um, I certainly expect to do more research on Haiti. And yes, we do need to take a trip. Um, and so we'll plan that and we'll make it a, a group effort so we can take that hike. Uh, to your father's village. I think that would be that would be a pretty awesome experience. Thank you both for having me and for having this open discussion. I hope people can learn a little bit more about Haiti and um, I'm looking forward to a brighter future for Haiti. And on that note, we thank you for listening and ask that you click that like button and subscribe to Culture Crawl ATX wherever you listen to your podcast. We hope you enjoyed the conversation and heard something you can take back to your friends and family. Please follow us on Instagram and LinkedIn. And remember, you can always find the latest episodes on culturecrawlatx.com. <laughs>